folks. We're sponsored by Revelator Coffee. Oh, you're working them into the, the theme song I now. am, and I hope we can hold that sponsorship after I sang like that. Um, I wish that <laughs> there were... There were more of a tendency to work in like sponsor names into theme songs of things. Like, imagine watching a sitcom and it's like like Charles in Charge, sponsored by Nissan, uh, or something like that. Like, show me that smile, show me that stamina. <laughs> it could work like that. I would love that. Um, well, I'm here for it, Corey. I just did it, and I'm here for it. So. But- why yeah. are we here at all? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about some movies at some point. Let's do it. I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm Corey Kraft. We talk about movies. Let's do it. What's this shit? Bitch, you knew it was coming. I did. Don't try to look at my notes. Are you I'm ready? I'm not trying to look at any notes. All I'm right. going to throw. I'll, I'll shut my eyes. How about that? <laughs> I'm going to throw some back. You might. Yeah, you'll really. This is going to be so visual for you. <laughs> I'm going to throw some shit out at you. Okay. This is what's happening on the screen. And I'm going to also include some of my thoughts while I'm watching it. And you're going to try to guess the film. You okay. ready? Yes. There's helicopters. Do uh-huh. you know what it is? <laughs> um, <laughs> they're unloading. And it's and, and it is, it's not Apocalypse Now. Yeah, that was my first Spoiler. <laughs> um, there are. They're unloading crates, and there's a classic rock song playing. I'm pretty sure it's Ozzy Osbourne. And I I ask myself at this point, is this a movie or is this a commercial? Yeah. Um, Then there's a dude with sort of an old-school video camera, and there's a bunch of people watching what looks like old-school waveform and vector scopes out in the middle of what appears to be a jungle. Okay. Um, and then there's, I mean, there's like elk. They might be they might be CGI. Elk. I think I know what this is. Okay. Well, do you want to go ahead and, and guess it now? Is it Kong Skull Island? <laughs> it is Kong Skull Island. <laughs> oh, I didn't even have to give you that much. Yeah. No. Then you know, a bomb goes off. It really nothing about this felt like a movie. It, it reminded me, you know, occasionally this happens for me on what's this shit, and that is that I'm like, if somebody had taken me as a little kid, uh huh, as a little kid in the '80s, and yes, I'm old, and sort of just rip me off that sofa from watching The Shining and all the other great films and just dropped me into 2021 or in this case what 2017 or something. Yeah, whatever that movie came out. In front of a movie, I'd be like, "What is this? Is this a movie?" because it doesn't I might even not even say that. I might even say, "What commercial is this?" <laughs> None of this feels cinematic at all. It feels like a it feels like a television commercial in its worst form. Wow. Well, I kind of like Skull, Kong Skull Island. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. I do like the Warner Brothers like recent Man. monster verse movies with the the Godzilla uh films and and Kong Skull Island and Godzilla versus Kong which came out earlier this year. Um you know, they're just borrowing from that Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, commercial sheen that that all action blockbusters have to have these days. Why does so much have to happen at one time? Why is there so much going? Like I can't by the time my brain registers one thing, it's on is is this indeed what cell phones have done to us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've also, like, packed uh, – cell phones and Marvel movies have, have contributed to this, like, packing these movies with, like, wildly overqualified casts when all you're really there to see is King Kong. I mean, this movie has Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson, John Goodman, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. and a bunch of other really recognizable, like, character actor faces. Um well, I don't know. I think it's pretty fun. It, it's got oh, some. It's Corey. got some good monster-related deaths. Like there's a scene with like these giant spindly spiders with super long legs. That's really cool. Um, 
Yeah, there's some there's some cool and fun monster related stuff here. Do you, do you, do you know a thing about any of the human characters by the end of the movie? No, in fact, you might end the movie knowing less about them somehow. But um, you know, for what it is, which is a giant monkey stomping on things, it's a pretty fun ride. Yeah, my next note was I think that might be Taylor Swift's ex boyfriend. Uh, which one? Uh, that was the whole point. I Tom felt like, I felt like I could give you that that clue, and you may not be able to guess the Did film. Did you guess Tom it before them? I don't. Maybe not. I don't. He looks. I said it looks like it looks like a guy she dated because they all kind of have that. You know, is Loki? Did she date no, Loki? I'm pretty sure they dated. Okay. Really good to know. Isn't he much older than her? Um. Hello. Okay. All right. That was hello? a ridiculous thing to say. She also Fair dated enough. John Mayer. And I mean, I thought you were he, about to say she did, dated John Goodman, and I was like, "Well, that's a catch." You know what, though? <laughs> I'll take John Goodman over John Mayer. John Mayer is a slimy little worm. I think, and I, I, we may need to get Sam and Brad on this, but I think we would all take John Goodman over John Mayer. Sam, Brad, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty emphatic <laughs> yes. Um, the last thing I'll say about the clip that I saw uh-huh. Kong Skull Island because that is all I saw was a clip. The last thing I'll say about it is that in my editing class, I one of the first things we do is I play a clip and I make my students clap on an edit, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, every time there's an edit, we all clap together and it gets us used to this this understanding that there is a rhythm to an edit. Yeah. If if I were to have played this clip, and sometimes I'll I'll switch it up and I'll be like, "Hey students, you guys tell me what film what what film we want to watch a clip from," and they'll throw something at me just to you know keep me on my toes and make it fun. Kong Skull Island would sound like this. Yeah. Sorry to blow your speakers out, but Kong Skull Island blew my brain out of my head. Pretty good movie. For over one million years, Rachel and Corey have talked. And now, they share with you one of the greatest accomplishments of all time. Their list of the top 200 films. All right, Rachel. We are down to our final 16, our top 16 favorite films. Yes. I believe I left off with Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That sounds correct. And I left left off with The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Well, let me record scratch. Okay. I have news. Which What's we, your news? We almost had a segment that was, I have news. Oh, my God. Um, and I do have news. My news is, unlike your list that you are willing to you know, etch on your damn tombstone. Yes. My list changes. Oh, no. And we have been dragging along with this long enough for me to let you know that I have had a change on my list. Oh, my God. I am going to be kicking off Raising Arizona, so do not stroke out over mm. there, okay? Mm. I'm doing it for a reason. Okay. I'm doing it because while I love that film and it wasn't it this is this goes to show it's not it's just like I get to the bottom of a list and I kick one off. I rethink the whole list. Yeah. I'm removing it because I do love it, but it gets enough love. Okay. And I don't feel a need to revisit it because I've revisited it so many times and I will accidentally re- revisit it soon because it'll be playing somewhere. You know how this goes. Yes. I am replacing it with The Legend of Billie Jean. Okay. Fair is fair. Okay. That's all I have to say. Yeah. So where where does that fall on your list? Um. Oh boy. Now you're asking the tough question. Well, I mean, if you don't have it, no, handy. no. I, I hear you. I'm going back and looking really fast, and um, I'm t- just borrowing time here. Okay. So that means that that's number that was number 95 on my list. Okay. Centered right between April Fool's Day and uh, the War of the Roses. Right. And so that is where the Legend of Billie Jean will go. It is. It needs to be in my top 200. I keep thinking about this film. I love it so much. It's so ridiculous and and but at the same time wonderful. And you know I. 
Uh, I have a prized possession that is an elite school uh, scooter, a Honda Elite scooter based on this film. I, I need it to be in my top 200. And, um, you know, well, that's it fair. Wasn't. I, I have to confess, uh, I know I have known about your fondness for this film, and, and it's something that's played at the Sidewalk Cinema before. Yep. It is a film that I have still never seen. Oh, how embarrassing. Yeah. Um, it's on your homework list. Please watch it. If you don't like it, I'm going to fight you to the death. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. In a similar sense, uh-huh. you want to go ahead with your number 16 because mine is a little newsy. But uh, I, I will let you, I'm going to pass it to you now. Too. Sure. Well, my number 16 is a film I feel like we're going to hear about on your list yet to yeah. come. Yeah. It is John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes, you're starring uh, about it. Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, um, and uh, uh, terrifying uh, demonic boogeyman uh, named Michael Myers, who um, uh, stalks um, hapless victims in Haddonfield, Ohio, one Halloween night, um, wearing a spray painted uh, William Shatner mask. I don't know what else to say about this. I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Um, it's it's one of the the most exciting and uh, best, you know, mo- most well crafted movies ever made. And considering it was made for nothing uh, by an up and coming director, um, it just so skillfully made, um, it holds up. You know, some fifty years later, it's just amazing. What what can you say about it? I totally agree. I have many words to say about it, but as you know, it is going to it's going to show up on my list. I'm going to refrain and hold my words I have sure. to say about it until it's my list that we're talking about. <laughs> um, but in, again, in a newsy fashion, and, and this won't disrupt anything because you don't even know what was lost. You don't need to know what was lost. Okay. But I've had a recent film splash onto my list. Wow. My number 16 coming out of nowhere this year, Zola. Whoa, Zola, that high. That high. Wow. I really, really, really love this film. I think it's super provocative, yeah. super fucked up, but super special. And it, it climbed right to the top of my list. Now, will it stay there? I don't know. Okay. Because it kind of holds a, it holds a very particular perspective, so to speak. Yeah. And and place on my list. And so we'll we'll see. But I can't imagine it dropping off my list completely. Sure. Now, might it slide down some in the coming years? I, I Maybe. Wow. Okay. Uh, I have this coming in the mail on Blu-ray um, today or tomorrow. Nice. Um, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. I saw it twice in theaters. Me too. Uh, I really like this movie a lot. It will, in all likelihood, um, make it on my top 10 of the year. I imagine if it's your 16th favorite movie of all time, it will be on your top 10 this year as well. Perhaps very close to the top. Yes, I would think so. Um, um, and- it's really good. I also have some A24 mail coming my way. I have got, I'm getting the t-shirt that says, I just came to dance. Oh, tight. Yeah, you're jealous. Yeah, I am jealous. I am jealous. So yeah, that's my, you know, we've talked about the film before. I don't need to go on and on about it, but it is, um, it is indeed my number 16. Yeah, real good. And we should have said, we're only doing four. That's true. We should have said that. Um, we're, we're slowing things down just to drag out the suspense a little bit. Um, so we're, we're only uh, covering up to number 13 on this list, but you'll find out what that is soon because my number 15, uh, first things first, number 15 uh, is another horror classic from 1979 from director Ridley Scott called Alien. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, it is a lovable little film, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> perhaps, listener, you've heard of it. It's about the crew of the Nostromo. Um, they are space truckers, for lack of a better term, and they get a distress call. They go to a planet. Uh, John Hurt is like, what's this egg-looking thing? Looks over it. That was a mistake. Blammo. Something attaches itself to his face, and it is all downhill from there. Um, just... I mean, again, what can you say about Alien? It's one of the most discussed movies of all time, but it looks great. It sounds great. The performances are great. The alien is scary. Every single time that motherfucker jumps out of the shadows to get Tom Skerritt in that uh, in the the, the, the vents uh, or the, the duct work where he's looking for the alien, it scares the hell out of me. Um, Harry Dean Stanton is in this movie. Uh, there's an orange kitty cat. Um, I mean, it's got everything you want. It's got everything you want. When there's an orange tabby, we don't need much more. Yeah. And, and the cat is, uh, one of the sole survivors. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I I mean, Sigourney Weaver too. Let's, let's give her some cred. You know, she's pretty good, right? Pretty darn good in this thing. I have, I have a t-shirt actually, um, with, with the face of Jonesy, the cat on it. And it says Jonesy. And it's one of my favorite shirts. Oh, man. We're going to have a whole segment just called T-shirts yeah. we like. Just T-shirts from, like, <laughs> movies and stuff. We have not even – neither of us have talked about uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining yet, but I imagine we could fill, you know, a podcast just on merchandise uh, from oh, that man. that we have. Brad, would you be up for starting a podcast called T-shirts from The Shining? Oh, I'm in, yeah. Or <laughs> or uh, bathrooms inspired by The Shining. I imagine we could have a lot to say about that. Oh, man. Um, well, my number 15 comes with much strife. Uh-oh. Uh, my number 15 is one I've talked about on a podcast before, but is highly controversial for a number of reasons. Uh, not because of, I think, the quality of the film or the direction of the film or the performances in the film, but the content of the film itself. And that is a film from 1980 directed by James Bridges, Urban Cowboy. Yeah, I've never seen this. I know you've talked about it a lot. It's another one I would love for you to take a look at. I'd love mm-hmm. to talk to you about. I, um, good friend of ours, Bradford, and I have talked to, to in great at great length about this film because we both have a special place in our heart for it. Both of us spent um, childhood time in Houston, Texas. Both of us have memories of Gillies, and you know I experienced this film because of my age in a very different way. But if you have never seen this film, this film has some significant domestic violence in it. Oh, lame from. Numerous characters, including including the lead character played by John Travolta, and it. I watched this film again recently with my girlfriend, and she really um, took me to task over this. Hmm. And she's very disturbed by the domestic violence in this, and was really questioning my love of this film. And it led to a very lengthy discussion, one one that has continued to hold this film on my list. But I am acknowledging that 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 some of the content is problematic. I would uh, part of my argument here, and again, talking about a film that not everybody has seen clearly, but uh, it's I think the film is way more nuanced than the content on the surface might suggest. I mean, is is that content? treated like flippantly and like for comic purposes or it's not it's not but what you have is a protagonist and i think a couple that you you sort of are are designed the film is designed for you to root for this couple to kind of stay together get back together even though he's like even though he has he has hit her 
Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's hit her on it, – it's interesting, and this is why diving into the film is interesting, because he's hit her on two occasions. Uh-huh. He's hit her at one point early on in their relationship at a diner when they're doing like a tickle war kind of thing. And it and it reads as a kind of slap that you might do to a brother or sister when you're trying to – you know, when you're sort of playing around. Sure. It feels like a playful – Slap, but it's still a slap. Yes. And it's still one in which the character Deborah Winger reacts to in a way of it's like, that's not okay. Uh-huh. I'm getting up and leaving. Mm-hmm. And so her putting that, you know, it doesn't her, – her sort of switching gears from being playful to being very serious highlights that it, that it, it was an aggressive move. Yeah. So – but it is interesting that that is included at all. Right. Because that is a moment where you're kind of like, okay, and, and maybe that's foreshadowing or maybe that's something else. Because the character, the protagonist played by John Travolta is in many ways a grown child. Mm-hmm. So then later in the film when they're arguing, there is a full, there is a full slap that is straight up domestic violence. Like you should be pre- – charges pressed. Like it is right. not okay. And there's no question about playfulness of it. It is it is directly aggressive. And so with that move, that is what that is what is the catalyst for them breaking up. Understandable. And then there's another character who comes along who is who also then is abusive. Mm. And so what ends up happening throughout this film is you kind of get to this place where where and this was my girlfriend's comment and I I think a very valid one and one that many other folks have made, which is and one that I've talked to Bradford about, which is Okay, so do we like this protagonist because he's an he's he's an abuser, but he's he's a better abuser, you know, yeah, than the than I the see. really fucking mean one. I see. And and so that's where the problem comes into play because you know, there's sort of violent men throughout this film and one of which is a friendlier violent man. So do we I but That's again, pretty thorny, yeah. It is. It's very complicated material in that sense, but I think because you're looking at sort of a couple that you know, spends their evenings at Gillies and it's a it's a really easily laughable film because it, it kind of pokes fun at a particular subculture, but also lifts it up while it's poking fun at it. Don't uh-huh, get me wrong. Uh-huh. And, you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot of really kind of funny stuff in the film that that that's all related to the sort of country Western lifestyle kind of thing. Um, but again, I think doing so w- with with the acceptance of the culture, like Gillies is a big location in this. Mickey Gilly is there. Like this, this culture is embracing this film. And so I think, but, but I think because of that lightheartedness of the, 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 the overall sort of environment and the treatment of some of the content that the, the, it feels a little like, okay, well there is no nuance to this film. There is no real depth to this film. There is no, and I, I, my argument is that there is. So, you know, this, this conversation reminds me of the conversation around Saturday Night Fever, which is a dark movie that goes to some disturbing places. Beyond domestic violence, there is a full-on sexual assault, full-on rape in this film. One at which um, involves multiple people sort of consenting to allow it to happen. Right. It, it, it is a very, yes, it is a film that I think a lot of people remember. And see, interestingly, John Travolta's in it. And it, just like an urban cowboy. And so I think there's a lot of folks who kind of, because of the music that was in yeah. that film, everybody kind of celebrates this film and thinks, I've even had people say, this will be so fun to play. And I'm like, hold on a second. No, no, no. This is not a fun film. The The soundtrack might be fun, but there's a lot more going on than just the soundtrack in right. Saturday Night Fever. I think Saturday Night Fever is aware of the type of movie that it is. Is Urban Cowboy aware of those thorny issues that it's raising? 
I think that that's where part of the problem comes in. Uh-huh. Is that I I do think that it I do think it's aware, but I can see why people may not think that. Okay. And I think it's aware in a particular way that is about character development that I believe might be somewhat misguided, but that has good intention. I see. Like like a redemptive story of a domestic abuser. Yes, in some ways, okay. yes. Well, in other that's... ways, that's still problematic. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. But in other ways. It is through a lens of nineteen, really nineteen seventy nine, because sure. this film comes out in nineteen eighty. So you know, pre production, production seventy eight, seventy nine, and that's that's part of what I'm getting at. And, and again, now do we do we forgive Birth of a Nation because it's racist <laughs> as shit? Uh, you know, no. But do no. we? But do we? For, <laughs> no, so, we don't. <laughs> so that's the complicated conversation that happens. Yeah. And and so I'm acknowledging all this and still saying this lands very very high on my list of films for a lot of reasons. Those those things that I'm highlighting, we're talking about complicated points in this film, but we're also talking about an all in all, you know, a handful of minutes of screen time wrapped around a lot of other stuff that, that, for example, Deborah Winger's, the female character that Deborah Winger portrays in this, Sissy, is also a particularly interesting character that we now aren't talking about at all because we're talking about the domestic abuse. So there are other Got elements it. to this film that land my, landed on my list. I am interested in this conversation around it though because I do think that I do think that the film is more complicated than one might think from looking at the cover and knowing a little bit about it. Well, it sounds more complicated than I ever gave it credit for. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's it's not a film that's ever been really on my radar as one I need to check out. But now, I, I mean, honestly, you've kind of talked me into it. I should I'm, probably put it on my watch list. I'm interested in you seeing it and maybe you, Bradford, and I, maybe we will – have a conversation sure. about it and see where we all kind of land because yeah. it, it, you know, it's an interesting one. So it's number 15, it's urban cowboy. It's staying on my list despite some, you know, <laughs> some complications that, well, I'm, sure. that I'm facing regarding it. And, um, and, you know, moving on. Well, I think that we can all agree that nothing problematic has ever been on my list. No, so, you know, never. this is, this is uh, a real shame uh, that we've had to sully this experiment in such a way. Uh, number 14 on my list is not a movie that anybody has a problem with. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. It's not like a particularly problematic movie, but it has also been on your list. So um, if it is shame on both of us, but right. I don't think it is. It's, it's uh, Wes Anderson's the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, you've already talked about it. It's a great um, film. It's a great film. I don't, I don't know what else to say that hasn't already been said about it. We're kind of at that point on my list where like we've, we've talked about all these movies before the Royal Tenenbaums, um, not my favorite Wes Anderson movie that comes later. Um, but one of the greats, um, a brilliant movie, brilliantly performed, brilliantly written. There's nothing really like it, even amongst Anderson's filmography, because he moves, a little bit farther into that dollhouse aesthetic in his later movies, the, the Royal Tenenbaums yeah. feels like the right balance between the more grounded, semi-realistic, but still kind of heightened uh, comedy of Bottle Rocket and Rushmore and what comes later. It, it strikes that sweet spot, and it's got just some of the most sublime cinematic moments you'll ever see. I mean, I... I'm a person who has mixed feelings about Gwyneth Paltrow ultimately, but you cannot tell me that the sequence where she's walking in slow motion to Nico's these days off of the bus, walking toward Luke Wilson's character is not just pure sublime cinema. 
I, I wouldn't. I, I dislike her highly, but I agree with you. She's good in this film. I think she's the right casting for this role. Yep. Maybe the only time in her life she's ever been correctly cast. And maybe the only time in her life she's ever done anything decent. Um, well, you're, not a, you're not a Goop fan? <laughs> you don't um, like Goop? No comment. Uh, so, you know, I th- what I love about this film, to your point, is it's got a little more edge than a lot of Anderson does. Yeah. And he's kind of lost that. He's lost that maybe in his age, maybe in dollars, maybe in success. I I, I think that his, some of his later films, there are dark moments in some of his later films. Like the Grand Budapest Hotel has moments of darkness, but I don't think he's ever gotten as dark again as the the needle in the hay sequence in this movie with with Luke Wilson's character, you know, trying to kill himself. Certainly uh, not in Moonrise Kingdom. And this is what I would argue is that I wish Wes would get back to a little more of that. A little more of an edge. I, I think he's I think he's at his best when he's when he's walking that line a a little bit heavier. I mean, yeah, it, it, just a little bit of of darkness and a lot of melancholy and I don't know. I mean, it, it's just somehow it all works together in the Royal Tenenbaums. It's just it's just magnificent. Sometimes with success comes a lot of water. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, again, I love Wes Anderson, and I've pretty much loved every movie he's made yeah. before and after Tenenbaums. But Tenenbaums is the sweet spot, except for, again, the movie that is my favorite Wes Anderson movie, which is yet to come on oh, my list. Oh, to be determined. But I think everybody knows what it is. Well, uh, yes. My number 14, Corey, is a film that I wouldn't call good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does have to be good to be on my list, Fair as enough. you are very aware. It is directed by Martha Coolidge. It is from the year 1983, I believe. It is a Valley Girl. I think it's good. And yes, I'm right. It's 1983. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, we've talked about Valley Girl a bit in the in recent episodes. Yeah, you brought I, the soundtrack in. I, I know. I like it a lot. It it has it's problematic, but I one thing to remember uh, problematic technically in a lot of ways. Sure. But I think one thing to remember is this was not a big budget film at the time. Yeah, not a big budget film, and I, I love it. I can watch it over and over and over again. And there's so many great things about it. And you know, sure. I got, got I got no complaints here. Prime Nicolas Cage. I've talked about it enough. I won't say anything else. It it I, it other than this. I think it can be very hard to not have experienced this film uh-huh. in, in its youth yeah, and to carry it into today. If you haven't done that, you're going to have a different experience of it. It holds a special place in my heart because of the longevity and the time spent with this film. I think that's fair. All right. I'm going to close out my part of the list with my number 13 film, um, a film, a pretty well-known film from my favorite filmmakers, Joel and Ethan Coen. Um, starring, uh, well, one of the best actresses out there, Frances McDormand. This film is called Fargo. Yeah. Um, just a, again, a sublime, dark comic noir masterpiece set in the, in snowy, um, snowy Minnesota and snowy North Dakota as a bunch of, uh, low lifes, uh, fuck each other over and, um, Good old Marge Gunderson, um, the symbol of all that is good in this world, uh, pieces the crime together. What can you say about Fargo that hasn't already been said a million times, even on this podcast, but it's just the best. It remains the best. It is endlessly rewatchable, just like all the Coen Brothers movies are. 
But again, there's something about the mixture of, of, of comedy and just sheer dark terror and horrible, like criminal behavior in this movie that is a remarkably appealing combination. Do you know that I spent the better part of my life, at least before I saw Fargo when I was a teenager, thinking that it was a drama because people miscategorized it. Because how could a movie with that it has this many like horrifying dark elements be a comedy? But I genuinely don't understand how you can't watch Fargo without thinking it's hilarious um, and moving and truly gripping and suspenseful and everything that you could possibly want in a film. Um, it, you know, what, what else can you say about it? It's a masterpiece. Yeah, I'm not going to argue it. Uh-oh. I'm not going to argue it. I'm not. I, I mean that. <laughs> I, you, it seems like you kind of want to. It's a great film. I've, you know, I've, I've probably seen it enough. Yeah. But it's a great film. Yeah. Um, I have not seen it enough. I've seen it a <laughs> I, bunch of times, but I've you. not seen it enough. Well, I feel that way about my number, Lucky 13. Yeah. Uh, boy, this is a masterwork. It is one of the greatest films ever made. It is Yorgus's The Favorite. Whoa! <laughs> um, a movie I've still only seen once in theaters. I think it's so original yeah. and so fucked up. Yeah. And so strange and yet also so beautiful to look at uh-huh. and has these moments that are shocking and breathtaking and i i just love to stand a thing. brilliant ending that I, is just one of those like confounding like wtf moments but it just works so marvelously and it's we've talked about this before but the ending you know is my least favorite thing about this film and yeah, I, I think it's like your favorite it, thing it's about the film. my favorite thing about it yeah. but i would never five minute fight you on it because this film ends where the director wants it to end and i will not argue with that uh but it is man this thing is Damn, I, I when I saw it, I was like, "Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like this." No, and there's that's nothing rare. like it. There's and that's nothing rare. like it. There, Yorgos Lanthimos is one of those filmmakers with Dogtooth and the Killing of the of a Sacred Deer right. and the Favorite and the Lobster. Um, the Lobster, a controversial title amongst Sidewalk staff, by the way, but right. I think it's great. Um, we, we hear you, Kiwi. Yeah, we hear you. I don't agree with you, but we hear you. (laughs) But I mean, these are movies that have, you can't compare them to anything else. They are grossly original. Yeah, There's just nothing like them. And the favorite, I mean, combining that sort of, you know, we've, we've all seen like period dramas about British royalty. So you think you know what you're getting into, but you don't at all know what you're getting into with the favorite. And I remember... You know, not only it's it's insane that this movie was made. It's insane that this movie was nominated for ten Academy Awards. And then I remember watching that Academy Awards with you at Rojo at the sidewalk party. And when Olivia Coleman won that Oscar, I mean, it was just like you never thought they'd be cool enough to do it, but she totally deserves it. I mean, what a brilliant performance that is. And I mean, it's crazy this film got made with this cast. Yeah, yeah, and the. I mean, they're all so good. I'm, you know how I feel about Rachel Weiss. I know how you feel about her. She's amazing in this movie. Emma Stone is amazing in this movie. It's probably Emma Stone's best performance. It's probably Rachel Weiss's best performance. Honestly. You know, I, I wouldn't argue it. Uh, she's good. She's just always good. Yeah. She's always good, period. So what is that range anyway? And he is, it's like what? She's she's the, the best uh, of the best of the best. Yeah, a very high ceiling. <laughs> right, right. But I, it, it's, you know, I, when you... When things are this unique 
and this visionary. Yeah. It it's it's really really exciting. Yeah. It's really really exciting to be alive at a time when films like The Favorite are being made. And you know, it I'm a better person for this film. The world <laughs> is a better place because this film exists. Fuck you if you don't like it. It's a great <laughs> fucking movie. Yeah, I don't know if the world's a better place because the killing of a sacred deer exists, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's a better place because of the favorite. For sure. sure. Uh, what a great movie. Well, that, It's in the canon. It's yeah, in the canon. It has to be at this point. It should be. Um, so that's our uh, latest installment of our favorite movies of all time. As we, Of course, we're getting closer to the top. We're spending longer talking about these right. movies. Because obviously enough. we are passionate about them. So the next installment will cover entries 12 through 9 on our respective lists. Did something make you furious? Uh, do you have disagreements? Well, send us an email at podcast at sidewalkfest.com to voice your discontent, and we will address it on a future episode of this podcast. I will reply with the when and the where we're going to meet to fight you. Thank you for listening to Side Talks Podcast sponsored by Revelator Coffee. Working it into the song again. And Beltwell Studios, we love you. You hear that, Brad? That was for you. That song was for you. Thank you. And we like you when you listen to us. Yes. I can keep going with this. You could, but... But people are probably just dropping like flies right now. Well, you know, what else If is they new? listen this long, though, we won. <laughs> That's right. We already got in, like, talk about Fargo and the favorite. So, you know, we won. Thanks to Splash 96 for our music. Absolutely. At Sidewalk Film. At Sidewalk Film and SidewalkFest.com, where you can see cinema showtimes. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Or talk at you later. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>